With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Friday to you and yours. We made it through another week. The weekend is here. I'm looking forward to it. I uh, got a friend coming into town. Uh, I'll probably go out to eat, watch a little football, bet some games. Uh, I'm excited uh, about the weekend, but I'm really excited about today's show. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Bryson Gray. Back in studio with me. Round of applause for Bryson Gray, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. you. Bryson Gray uh, back in studio with me for the show. So I got some company here in studio. Uh, Stay tuned. Bryson dropped a song last week, six, seven days ago, uh, Shut Up and Dribble. It's a diss track uh, of LeBron James. And uh, uh, we're going to play that. Uh, in its entirety at some point today, and I'll talk to Bryson about it. And I'm going to ask Steve Kim. You know, the Korean Cosell is a pop culture uh, expert, knows everything about rap music. We'll get to the Korean Cosell's take on Bryson's uh, new song, Shut Up and Dribble. We'll talk a little LeBron James and all that. Uh, Royce White is going to be here uh, very shortly. We're going to talk about, uh, do we start need to wearing make, America MAGA again, hats, <laughs> shirts, uh, because the, the MAGA movement seems to be in a bit of trouble. And I want to ask Royce, what's next? I want to ask Bryson, too, because I know Bryson's passionate about this. He's still I follow his uh, social media. Bryson <laughs> wears MAGA stuff everywhere and provokes people, triggers people. Uh, But what's next for the MAGA movement? We'll talk about that with Royce. We'll also talk about this FTX crypto controversy uh, and the collapse of FTX and and what we should make of it. Royce will provide us some insight there. Tucker Carlson last night did a very interesting monologue on the topic. We'll play a bit of that, get Royce's take. Uh, And then we'll uh, bring in Steve Kim. We'll talk about last night's Titans game. I uh, want to talk about that with him and want to talk. There's this backlash to Jeff Saturday, people rooting against him. And then we're going to end the week and today's show uh, talking to a former NFL star, running back Larry Johnson, uh, big star with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, when I was there and covered Larry, Larry's probably been out of the NFL maybe close to 10 years now. Larry's a very interesting thoughtful, deep, he, he reminds me a little bit of Royce, uh, thoughtful guy. And so I want to talk with uh, Larry. I follow his Instagram. He's had some interesting comments about Kyrie and Kanye. Uh, I, he's got some insight into the Hebrew Israelite uh, movement. 
And so we'll end the show talking to Larry Johnson about those issues. And Bryson's got thoughts on the Hebrew Israelites thing as well. Uh, so that's our show uh, for today. Buckle up, stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be a marvelous show. It's going to be almost, well, it will be as good. We're both excellent. It's going to be as good as Good Ranchers. You know what would be a, what would be a great gift this year? To take away inflation for someone? While you can't control the uh, gas prices or home prices, you can't stop meat inflation for yourself or someone you know and love. How? A subscription to Good Ranchers during their Black Friday special. Beef prices are expected to go up another 15% in 23, but Good Ranchers customers who use my code, FEARLESS, will experience 0% inflation all year long. That's because every subscriber locks in their price for the life of their subscription. That's not enough to get you to subscribe. You also can get their Black Friday offer right now. That's two free 12 ounce Black Angus New York strip steaks and two free pasture raised chicken breasts with any order that uses my code FEARLESS. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com to find the perfect box for you in their curated selection of America's best meat and seafood. Give the gift of zero inflation and America's best meat to yourself or someone else this season. Good Ranchers award-winning service and quality are why they have more than 7,000 five-star reviews. Remember to visit GoodRanchers.com and subscribe with my code FEARLESS at checkout to grab the Black Friday special, their best offer of the year. Two free black onion steaks, two free pasture-raised chicken breasts, zero inflation, all with Good Ranchers American Meat delivered. All right, you guys know, soldiers, it's the holiday season, Thanksgiving, you're gonna be eating a lot. Do it with Good Ranchers. Support a company that supports you, me, and what we believe. All right, uh, let's swing out to uh, Minneapolis and bring in our main man, uh, Royce White. Uh, let's get a little deep here. Uh, and this question that I wanna address first with Royce certainly applies to uh, Bryson as well. Bryson wrote and performed the Let's Go Brandon song. Bryson, everywhere I see him over social media, he's got his Make America Great Again gear on. Uh, I'm starting to wonder though, uh, Royce, uh, what is the future of the MAGA movement? Do we need to start wearing Make America MAGA Again shirts? Because it looks like, it feels like to me, everybody's jumping ship on Donald Trump. I'm not that comfortable with uh, everybody jumping ship on him. I'm never comfortable with cowardice. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a run towards the center, um, and it, it has to do with the outcome of of these midterm elections that you could say Donald Trump was over leveraged in as a political figure and as a as a uh, you know as a as a political star, and and I don't I don't see the outcome of these elections as a um, referendum on Donald Trump, although I know many people at home would like to would like to think of it as such. Uh, it's not because the people at home don't have the proper information. And I think one of Donald Trump's most profound contributions to the modern political discourse was to say that the American media or the mainstream media all around the world has become the biggest enemy of the free people. And the, the narrative that I hear, even on a daily basis from people within my immediate life about who they think Donald Trump is and what issues he ran on is completely, completely um, off base from what the reality what the reality is. So, 
Yeah, all of the coward. I mean, this is the uniparty. The people that you see right now running back for the center and, and calling to govern from the center are the uniparty. They always have been the uniparty. And this is why the conservative movement has in large part uh, um, you know, performed as a controlled opposition to the the, the downslide or the avalanche towards a a, a liberal a liberal uh, mainstream political landscape. So no, you, we we shouldn't we should be doubling down on on um, what Donald Trump started while also acknowledging his flaws with honesty and objectivity and calling him to the fire to be a better leader. That's what good followers should do. We should want our leaders to strive to be better, even in their leadership. But to run for the hills for a centrist uh, governance is is completely corrupt and is cowardly. Bryson, where are you at on Trump and the MAGA movement? Yeah, I, I don't see a lot of people jumping ship on Trump. I think people are interpreting, criticizing Trump as jumping ship on Trump. And I think that is sort of like cultish, right? I, I, I like what Royce just said. Um, if I criticize Trump on his comments on the vaccines, or if I criticize Trump on something he said, I also support the things he said that's good. Um, you have to criticize your leaders or else they won't get better. If, if, if you're in the echo chamber and, no, and everybody is scared to criticize somebody, uh, that's not being a good follower. That's not, that's not being somebody that's holding people accountable. So and the people that some people are never Trumpers. So you have some people like the Daily Wire. I'm not going to say their names, but you have a few that have always disliked Trump. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so those people are going to continue doing what they're doing. But I saw my name on the list, people that turned on Trump. I saw Candace Owens. I saw Brandon Tatum. And the sole reason is because we criticized them. So if, and, 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 and by the way, the, when he said the, the MAGA movement is going centrist, it's actually just going straight up liberal. I don't want to say centrist. That's, that wouldn't even be true. We're, we're starting to adopt the LGBT ideology. You start to see a lot of talking heads saying uh, uh, we need to tone down our message on same-sex marriage, tone down our message on abortion, because that's why there wasn't a red wave. Statistically, it's inaccurate. If you look at the exit polls from 2022 to 2018, we've gained in every single category except for two, which is unmarried women and homosexuals. We didn't gain in those two categories. But in every other category, we've actually made progress. In, including the 18 to 29 voter group. Royce, I, I, I think he makes some good points that maybe had confused me because, and I, I'm because I'm very capable of being confused. That's why I like this show and like the people to come on the show, help me think through things and see through things. I did hear the criticism and then combined with the way the media was trying to spin the midterm elections, I melded those two things together and said, oh, the criticism and the media saying that uh, Trump cost the red wave and blah, blah. And I kind of melded those two things together and I shouldn't because I think the people in the MAGA movement, particularly you guys that are day ones or whatever, you have every right to criticize Trump over the vaccine issue. I would love for people to push Trump over the vaccine issue and question him strongly. If I ever interview him again, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask him those questions because that, that I think is a very legitimate criticism of Donald Trump. He mishandled COVID. Absolutely. And, and I'm not a day one Trump or MAGA movement myself. I was brought into the movement in 2020 after the, the George Floyd incidents and, and me and Steve Bannon, you know, formed a relationship and we have a great relationship. Um, and n nobody, nobody should be uh, 
just inherently, a, 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 you know, inherently against criticizing their leaders. And Donald Trump isn't beyond reproach by any means. But I think what you're seeing is that the mainstream media has seen a crack in the levy, a, a crack in the wall that is the MAGA movement, which is the only genuine the only genuine political movement that has any legs in this country currently. Uh, and, and they want to try and drive a narrative home that says, hey, you guys got to jump shit because Donald Trump is the reason why a, a movement that was growing is now suffering. You know, it's kind of a, 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 a story that they want people to believe at home. But we're stronger than ever. I'm here and I'm a person who was not in on day one, and I was brought in, and I was, you know, could, you could say converted to, and I feel stronger stronger than ever about the principles and the foundation of the movement and what it stands for. Now, I came on this show and openly criticized, uh, you know, Donald Trump for bringing Woody Johnson onto the stage and singing his praises, because I think companies like Johnson & Johnson, and even more importantly, uh, nonprofit organizations like the, the, the uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, have huge hands in the political corruption that exists and and the corporatocracy that presides over us. And Donald Trump as an individual has to has to navigate those waters so best as he sees fit for his individual journey and his role to be a person that could potentially become this nation's president. So I don't expect him to say everything that I would say on a given issue, especially at his age, where he comes from, the industry he was built in. All of these things have implications to what a person says in the public square. What I will say is that the younger MAGA movement that is on the rise, me, Bryson, and, and a, a countless others around the country, we do have that sort of instinct towards the truth. And, and you could say we're the vanguards, the, the newly appointed vanguards of all the things that Trump may not be able to say. And that's OK. That's also OK. We, we don't have to be held to the fire for everything one man says or doesn't say to have our allegiance aligned along the, along the, the belief in faith and God, God family country. Right. And, and Donald Trump has flaws. And if you believe in God, you know that I have flaws. But we are unified against a movement and, a, and an inertia from an establishment that means to rewrite our society the way they see fit and doesn't allow us to, to worship God in the way that we would like to. Let me ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Bryson. Where are you at on Ron DeSantis? Because. Uh, uh, I can't figure out where I'm at. I, I, obviously, I like what he's done. I like he seems classy and professional, but also vicious and relentless. I like that. But I, I've made some analogies here. And I, y'all probably too young, but there was a movie called Blood In, Blood Out. Mm-hmm. You, <clears throat> I, I kind of have that mentality. It's like, no, Trump's in the game. I haven't. I, uh, DeSantis hasn't been jumped in, so I, I just, I'm uncomfortable. I like what I see, but he's not really in with me, and so I'm not completely comfortable with Ron DeSantis. Where are you at on him? So what's funny is I've been, <clears throat> I've just got attacked by MAGA for criticizing Ron DeSantis like six months ago before everybody thought it was cool to criticize him. Uh, and the, the same criticisms I have of him is the same ones I've had pretty much with Donald Trump. They both supported red flag laws. Ron has supported red flag laws in the past. He switched up his tune, but he did support that. He also supported lockdowns in the beginning. He also pushed the vaccine in the beginning. And Ron DeSantis also passed the, the, that anti-Semitic law uh, with the situation with Ben and Jerry's, Trump passed a, a um, Trump passed anti-Semitic laws too. So it's the same criticisms, but I also recognize the good. DeSantis fixed elections in Florida. You can everybody can say what they want about DeSantis. He fixed elections in Florida. He limited the mail-in ballot situation. He did things that was good. So 
you know, as far as like speeches, I would much rather watch a Trump speech, minus that last one. But I would much rather watch a Trump speech. You didn't like you didn't like Trump's speech. Oh, I almost fell now. asleep. I've, I've been watching Trump for a very long time, and I know people that was there that are like only Trumpers, um, and they even said it was pretty. It was pretty. It was pretty boring. I mean, what he said, do I like it? Yes. Um, but it didn't have, it had like zero energy. Like if I would have rated it on the app, it'd be like, you know, content, good, everything else. (laughs) I thought he was striking a new tone. Royce, where are you at on DeSantis? And then I'm going to throw in now, what did you think of Trump's speech as well? Ron DeSantis is, uh, is, has shown that he's a courageous leader in some sense and, and on some issues. Um, and, and I respect that. I admire that. It takes a brave man to stand up and, and do the things that, that he's done in the circumstance he's done them. What we have to ask ourselves is who the establishment is, who are the world powers, who are the gatekeepers, who are the gatekeepers most afraid of and why? Why is it that Donald Trump uh, irritates the establishment the way he does? Is it because he's this profound evil character? Well, we we all know that that's not true fundamentally, that anything you could criticize Donald Trump of, you could throw it at, at, you know, at the feet of his accusers as well. So, you know, it, it, I look at who is the establishment getting behind? And all throughout the political uh, community, I hear a call for Ron DeSantis. In the, on the Republican side, and, and I'm not just talking about at the grassroots level on the everyday people. I'm talking about the institutions. I'm talking about the big donor class, the banks, the, the, the individual nation of shopkeepers, you know, that are being brought into the banks and being courted for uh, other candidates such as Nikki Haley or Mike Pompeo. And, and Ron DeSantis fits right in. Look at who's backing him. Let's just follow the money. Look at who's backing him. And it brings a reasonable question in to, to, to see who's backing Donald Trump as well. All I know is that there is a reason why the media has spent so much time and energy to convince us that Ron DeSantis would be better for America. And it's largely predicated on the fact that he could get more uh, diehard Democrat voters to flip out of their hatred for Donald Trump and having a more moderate position on some of the key wedge issues such as abortion and, and same-sex marriage, although he's been strong on the LGBTQ in Florida. As a presidential candidate, we'd see where that fell. But my number one question and something that I have not heard Ron DeSantis speak too firmly about is the military. The military industrial complex and where he is on foreign policy. He's been able to keep the conversation in local governance for the most part. And, and um, you know, that's that's a much different deal than being the commander in chief of a country and, and overseeing the entire federal government. Where did you what did you think of Trump's speech? I didn't watch it. Because. Because I know what he's going to say. He hasn't switched. I mean, he hasn't changed his position on 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 these things. Right. I mean, I, for, for as unpredictable and unstable as they try and make Donald Trump seem, uh, he's still running on the same policy uh, points that he was in 2016. I mean, I just I didn't I didn't need to watch. There was nothing that that I believed he was going to say that I wouldn't already expect. Um, and, and I was busy doing other things. I, I was busy figuring out how we can split the Democrat vote in the inner cities and the Democrat strongholds for Donald Trump in 2024. That's what I was actually doing in real time when the speech was going on. Bryson, let me ask you this before. 
Where do we do we know where Ron DeSantis is on abortion? Because when I think of where I give Trump the most credit was he put three Supreme Court justices on that overturned Roe v. Wade. And that take that took a pair that takes a pair. That's real change. Where is do we does DeSantis? Do we know, I mean, again, maybe it doesn't matter when you're just running a Florida state. But do we know where he is on abortion? Well, it does matter because in Texas and Tennessee, a couple of other places, they had trigger laws in. So when Roe v. Wade got overturned, 30 days later, abortion would be illegal in those states. And this is another criticism I have of Ron DeSantis. I think Florida, as far as laws, is overrated. Um, they don't have constitutional carry. And abortion is not illegal there. So, of course, Ron DeSantis is pro-life himself, but the laws don't suggest that. But one, one more thing about DeSantis, I'm not a DeSantis fan, I've never been, but I am an objective person. And yes, it does seem like a, a few rhinos are backing Ron DeSantis, but them same people, let's use Kevin McCarthy, for an example. Trump just endorsed Kevin McCarthy last week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, or we talk about rhinos. What do we call Dr. Oz? If anybody's a rhino, Kevin McCarthy, I'll pick him over Dr. Oz every day. Do, do y- people know what Dr. Oz believe? So, you know, my, my, my thing is, it's like, I don't like Ron DeSantis for multiple reasons. I've been saying this for months. But at the same time, a lot of the things we criticize DeSantis for, you can also apply to Trump. But if you do apply to Trump, you get called somebody that turned on Trump, even though people like me have been risking a lot just to support him. Royce, you're the perfect person for me to ask this question. And you can throw in your comment, but as it relates to Trump, how long can you survive as a rebel and a threat to the establishment? Has maybe it's run its course? Have they worn Trump out to the point? Again, much of his family now is saying, hey, I'm backing away from I'm not going to be involved. I think Ivanka has said she's not going to be involved, and, and which is probably a good thing. But I'm just wondering, how long can you be a rebel before you eventually, you know, you just get tired of dealing with all the backlash you get? And maybe they've worn Trump out some, and that's why his speech was low energy. You know, how, how long can you be a rebel? I mean, let's let's be real about this. Donald Trump has stood in the breach um, and taken a lot of personal criticism that could be laid before many of us because a lot of us have many things that, if put under a, a big enough microscope, wouldn't look too good. I know I certainly do myself. Um, so so he stood in the breach. The man is in his late seventies. Okay, his energy is going is is winding down because he's in his late 70s and he has fought against an establishment with an infinite amount of, of resources and energy to to cast against him. And and I think it, it's only a matter of individual will how long you can withstand that that onslaught. Um, I, I think he's 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 done. He's he's done a great job given all of the forces aligned against him, not not only in our country, but all around the world. And and to go back to Bryson's point, um, it was very clear to me as somebody who is uh, loyal to the ideas that undergird the MAGA movement, not not the movement. I, I'm loyal to the ideas. I'm loyal to God, family and country and, and whatever party would stand up and, and affirm those ideas and stand on them. I would be open to uh, casting a vote for and, and being politically involved with. It just so happens that the other two 
be it the conservative controlled opposition and the Democrats are completely opposed to God, family and country in fundamentally every way. Um, but it was very clear to me still that Donald Trump's endorsement process was an ego driven one meant to um, play a game of wins and losses. And, and I think it's in that game of wins and losses where he looked at the board strategically and said, who are the people that are going to be most likely to win? And then the win will be a, a sign of my my leadership or, or my competence or my, you know, my uh, my overall political power. Uh, and, and that's ex- and, and, and he was right to a sense, because as soon as the candidates that he endorsed didn't have these landslide victories, that's what they're using to claim that he's lost his juice. Right. So. So, you know, it, it works both ways. And I think the political is one of the most three dimensional aspects of our society. And, and in that place, Donald Trump erred. He, he made a grave error because if it, if it was me and if I was the one who was around him, I would have said that you go morals first and you go wins and losses second. And that's my message to the entire conservative movement. It's it's no good. It's not a sign of good health to be well adjusted to a sick society. And it's also not a good sign of, of your leadership to have won when you really lose. We can't win by becoming Democrats. So when you talk about Oz or McCarthy, that was clearly an example where he looked at the board and said, these guys have the best chance of winning. And by them, winning is going to reflect better on me and put me in a better position for the entire MAGA movement. Reasonable analysis. We're just in a dire time where those types of measurements uh, are going to fall short quick. And McCarthy's a great example. I mean, if you want to look at a uniparty or where we are, Jason, no better example than the McCarthy vote. Right. We got 31 America firsters in that house, in a Republican house. And 188 finger to the wind, uh, uh, you know, uh, tide measures, right? Where is the where are the winds blowing? And every single constituent, I don't care if the if the if the Marjorie Taylor Greene, too. Let's throw her on the griddle. Oh, well, if we didn't if we didn't vote McCarthy back in, then Pelosi would have been the speaker again. Now you hear Pelosi's resigning. So she wouldn't have been the speaker again. But regardless. Um, so what? If we lost some rhinos, but I'm different, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a frontline, you know, war horse. If we lose some rhinos in the process for standing on these beliefs, let those people go. There are people out there waiting to come into the movement that we block from coming into the movement because we want to toe the line and play this game of winning in the short term. We got to think long term. And that's something only younger people, I think, have the have the courage in the uh, in the um, the unique position because of our age to do in a sense. You just led me to another question I have for both of you as it relates to Trump. Uh, you've painted a picture, Royce, of, of Trump doesn't recognize the time that we're in, that this is a battle of good versus evil. It's no longer a political deal. This is a time to stand on truth and morals and screw the outcome. Do, do, do we... Th- is Trump there? Because that is where I'm at, and that's where I think the country's at. And so that's why, you know, Dr. Oz or whatever, you know, I'm friends with Kathy Barnett, who should have been the Republican nominee, should have gotten the support. If, if you're really just like, no, nah, I'm pushing all the chips into the table and I'm standing on principle, get somebody that was at January 6th rather than somebody that was on Oprah's TV show. Uh, and his friends with Sean Hannity. But uh, do we think Trump is aware of the time that we're in 
and knows how to operate in this spiritual battle that's going on. Well, I think we'll have to see. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Bryce. Yeah, I, I just think we'll have to see. I don't. I don't know about that aspect of it. I think his energy will come back. Um, I think that that speech, which is literally that speech, I think his next round speech is going to be lit. Like, I, I'm pretty sure it was because a few of his rally speeches before this weeks ago was lit. Um, now, as far as he's ready for a spiritual battle, it's how spiritual do you think he is? Donald Trump brought back the right to pray to school. He did a lot of good things uh, for for Christians, for people of faith. Um, but is he himself close enough to God to where he has on the armor of God and prepared for that battle? That's a different battle right there. Political battle is one thing. That good versus evil battle, like you said, if you was ready to pit morals first, Kathy Barnett would have been the only option because she blew up because of what she called out the WEF. She called out Dr. Oz in the debate, which is why she got popular in the first place. And they, the, 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 the GOP threw her under the bus. And I don't know if you remember this, but people like Richard Grinnell attacked her because of her faith. People got people to remember this. The people, the GOP puppets attacked her because of her faith, because it wasn't pro-LGBT. Uh, so is Trump ready for the spiritual battle? I think only time will tell, but I, I hope he is because that is the most important battle we have. Go ahead, Roy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Donald Trump is, is somebody who is in a position where he sees much more the political chessboard than many of us are privy to. I mean, just for example, when I come on the show and I say that 85% of the money from the Republican, uh, you know, donor base went into the pockets of of third party, uh, you know, grifters or, or, you know, middlemen, people are like, what? People that donated, that watched this show and actually donated, they don't even know that. So there, there, there are people in our society that are privy, privy to different information than the everyday person, and they have to navigate the position they're in with that information. And I think Donald Trump is, is somebody who certainly is, it has to do that. Um, it's just that I would say, as a, as a Christian, that the spiritual pride that occurs when you think that your plans or your strategy is going to overcome the metaphysical supreme intelligence of Satan uh, will, will fall short and, and you'll have to fall on your own sword and, and, you know, get a swift kick in the butt from reality when, when you don't acknowledge that. All right. I want to switch up to FTX. I want to talk about this controversy. I saw something interesting on Tucker Carlson, but before I do that, uh, I want to talk about my good friends at Preborn and the work that we're doing with Preborn. Uh, you guys know, you hear me talk about it virtually every day on this show. Preborn and The Blaze and this show have partnered to save 50,000 babies' lives in 23. We got about two weeks left in November. We got the whole month of December. Uh, we can meet these goals uh, if we all man up and do what's our responsibility, and that's protect children in the womb. Preborn has been doing this uh, for nearly two decades. They've counseled uh, nearly 500,000 women. They've saved nearly 200,000 babies' lives. They do it by showing women and providing women an ultrasound. Show the baby in the womb, the woman gets to hear the heartbeat, she then chooses life. Expectant mothers that are considering abortion when they hear their baby's heartbeat, when they see that baby in the womb, they change their mind. Preborn then comes in, introduces them to God, ministers, disciples them, and then provides the support that they need, the diapers, the baby clothes, the cribs, whatever a baby needs and a mother needs to get through the pregnancy and to get that child's life 
started properly, Preborn then provides free of charge. They do it free of charge because we, men, fearless men, step up and donate to Preborn. It's completely tax deductible. We've had Dan Steiner, the founder of Preborn, on this show. He explained to you, your money doesn't go to a bunch of mid-level executives. It goes to pay for ultrasounds. $28 will buy you an ultrasound. $140 will buy you five ultrasounds. You can save babies' lives. All you got to do, visit preborn.com slash Jason or pound 250. Say the keyword baby. That's how you can donate to Preborn. My favorite way, of course, is preborn.com slash Jason. I want the credit for it. I'm sorry. I'm that kind of selfish. I want this show. I want us in the Fearless Army to get the credit for saving babies' lives. There's a little slot when you go to preborn.com slash Jason where you get to say, hey, here's where I heard of preborn. Make sure you check the Fearless Army box. Guys, we got to give. We have to back up what we believe by what we do. Preborn.com is a great way uh, to show your support for our way of life, for our views, to express your biblical worldview, and that you respect the sanctity of life. Preborn.com slash Jason, pound 250, say the keyword, baby. Be a good, fearless soldier. All right, uh, Royce, uh, welcome back. I want to play you a clip last night uh, from Tucker Carlson that uh, it was part of his monologue last night, which was really good because I've been trying to get wrap my brain around this FTX crypto controversy and how it relates uh, to corruption within the Democratic Party. They're sending money to Ukraine and Ukraine's funding the money back. And this guy, uh, I think SBF, Sam Bankman Freed or whatever, second biggest Democrat donor uh, in America second only to George Soros. This is a 30-year-old kid. Uh, and, and so Tucker breaks all this down, and then at the end, he makes a fascinating point. At the end, I was like, whoa. And I, I actually rewound and watched the whole thing over again so I could try to catch the whole entirety of what he's talking about. But that's why we got Royce on. Royce is deeper than I am and he can help me unpack these ideas. Let's play the clip from the last, I think it's about the last two minutes of Tucker Carlson's monologue, and then we'll get Royce's reaction. So this thing swells to unsustainable size and inevitably implodes, it collapses, and that collapse is used for a pretext to do what they've been planning to do all along. So it probably shouldn't shock you that right after FTX's collapse, every major bank in this country announced a new partnership with the New York Fed to establish a new digital currency. Oh, digital <laughs> currency. The one they can regulate and control. Citigroup, Wells Fargo, MasterCard, HSBC, all working on a 12-week digital dollar pilot. The Fed describes this project as a regulated liability network. So what does this mean long term? Well... If they have control of your money because it's digital, you can't stash it under your bed. If they don't like what you say, they can turn it off and you're impoverished. In other words, this whole thing is a bigger scam even than it seems, and it was made possible by political sloganeering. And Sam Bankman-Fried, if nothing else, is not stupid, and he knows that well. As he put it in a message to a reporter the other day from his hideout in the Bahamas, the woke posturing is the most effective possible business boy. And we're quoting, I feel bad for those who get effed by it, he wrote, by this dumb game we woke Westerners play where we all say the right shibboleths and everyone likes us. In other words, if you suspected all of this was a scam, 
all the moral posturing, all the lectures you get about how they're great and you're bad, this was all a way to blind you to the fact that there was a massive ripoff going on, you might be on the right track. Mm. Royce, what, what should we make of this FTX corruption and collapse? Well, the first thing to make is that uh, <laughs> our, our elections are not secure. Our elections are compromised, and, and they're compromised first and foremost by dark money. And, and there's no greater example of dark money than this FTX scandal. Um, when you talk about him being the second largest uh, donor to the Democrat Party behind George Soros, let's go back and ask why George Soros should be able to, to impact our elections the way he does, or any other number of super donors. The entire election finance process is the way by which our elections are not secure and, and lack integrity. And people who don't acknowledge that first and get caught up solely in the outcome of the, the, the elections on voting day uh, miss a huge component here. And that's what Tucker's saying. Uh, I would ask Tucker why a person like myself who came on his show and, and talked about the Federal Reserve in a little three-minute stint hasn't been allowed back on. But uh, my my burst onto the scene politically was having 12,000 people outside of the Federal Reserve for this very reason, that the Federal Reserve is your enemy. The 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 central banking cartel is your enemy. Uh, and, and people don't understand that they don't want to accept that because their 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 vested interest is in the sort of radical material security industrialization that has become normal for us and that we love and that we're addicted to. But when you really peel it back, what you have is um, a security state operation. And I believe that in my heart. That is that is my take on the FTX situation, that this guy is a spook. He was always a spook. And, and that this entire this entire either either very early on or somewhere along the way, when this crypto platform started to take off and gain a bunch of money, they were they, a very, a very intelligible a uh, secret security state, secret uh, agency came to him, put a handler on him, allowed him to raise the money, made him, you know, or encouraged him to funnel money to the Ukraine or to the Democrats. And, and they knew that it was a twofer. Not only do we get the, the immediate short term liquid that we need, uh, we also get a safeguard or, a, you know, a backup plan of when it actually falls through. This guy's the cutout. He's the patsy. He's the uh, Oswald. And then we get to bring in the cryptocurrency. I mean, it's a win, win, win for the establishment. And, and what we have to look at here that's most important. And I think this guy is a patsy for this reason, because what he did is not what any bank isn't already doing. Let's be clear about the morality around this actual FTX scandal. What he did, so what, what happened was Binance was going to buy FTX or there was going to be a substantial transaction. Binance went to go look at the books after the books were conveniently leaked, very close to election time. And then when they saw that the books didn't look right, they pulled out. And when they put the, the, the um, explanation out as to why they pulled out of the deal, then you had what you call a bank run, right, where, where a bunch of people who have investments come and they try and pull it out all at once. Every bank in the world runs on fractional reserve banking. They all do that. If we all went to go call in our cash and, and try to liquidate the money that we have at the banks, they would all go bankrupt. Why? Because we have $2.4 quadrillion in world bank debt, which stems from usury, from an industrialization that could be, you know, said is the start of this entire downward slide of our society. 
So this this young man didn't do anything that the other big finance and banking cartel uh, people didn't do. What is significant is that a big portion of the money that didn't look right on the books was strategically funneled to Democrat uh, uh, campaigns uh, and elections. And, and some of it went to the Ukraine as well. So, you know, that 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 is the significant part. But the, the crime itself is something that banks are doing every day. Bryson, you got anything? Do you, you have? Are you following this story? Do you got any? Um, a little bit. I, I, I just wasn't surprised about a scam funding Democrats in Ukraine. But I'm not suicidal, um, and I think we should end the Federal Reserve. <laughs> well, now you just hit Royce's topic. Royce just smiled. I'm sure his heart just probably fluttered and wants to fall out. I mean, someone. Royce, go ahead. Go ahead and go off on. How does this connect to the Federal Reserve? Well, I mean, look, the Fed. I don't think it's a coincidence that the George Floyd thing happened um, and I led these huge counter protests uh, about the corporatocracy to the front door of the Fed. And then the Bloomberg did a very small story on on my marches to the Fed. And about a year later, uh, PBS does this huge documentary called The Power of the Fed. Right. And I, I encourage all of us to go watch the PBS Frontline documentary, The Power of the Fed. And in there, they very clearly explain how the the, the housing crisis and the financial collapse uh, of the housing market in, in 2009 led to quantitative easing. One and then quantitative easing two, led by Ben Bernanke and Raskin and then Janet Yellen and all of these prominent finance figures uh, and from this central banking organization. They lay out how Wall Street basically co-opted the social consensus to turn on a tap of printing fake money in order to bring jobs, in order to increase wages. And what Wall Street did was they bought back the stock. It was a scam. It was a stock buyback scam. And then the Fed was at the mercy of Wall Street, and Wall Street led them exactly where the corporatocracy is going to lead them. Now, the question is, were the leaders or the chairs of the Fed ignorant to it, or were they in on it? In my opinion, people who are world-class geniuses when it comes to economics were were not dumb to what Wall Street had done, and what they would continue to do. And now today we have a Federal Reserve that is completely uh, defanged. They, they, they have no power, so they say, uh, and Wall Street's running the Fed. And that's what I said on Tucker when I went on. You can go back and pull up the clip. I said the Congress is supposed to regulate the Fed and the Fed is supposed to regulate the, 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 the currency. But instead, we got Wall Street running the Fed and the Congress sitting on the sidelines. Why? Because they're probably taking payoffs, too. So we have a huge, huge compromised financial system. Um, and, and the Federal Reserve is, is right at the heart of it with how they manage inflation and, and set the currency uh, policies. This story to me, just from an outsider who's playing catch up and, and doesn't fully understand it, but it, it, a 30-year-old is the number two donator to the Democratic Party. A 30-year-old. How does that happen? How, 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 just, and it seems to me like, and again, maybe I don't understand the story. It seems like he kind of like appeared out of nowhere. It's not like, oh, well, he started a lemonade stand when he was 14. And then when he turned 17, he did this. And then he graduated from Stanford at 19 and started this tech company and became a millionaire here. And it, it, to me, it's just like, whoop, this dude just appears and he's a billionaire and he's 30 years old and he's the number two donator to the Democratic Party. And then the other thing that just, like, this has to be a movie because 
and I'm just, this is how someone at my level interprets things. And I, I'm apologize for it. But again, I, I went to Ball State. You guys know I didn't go to no Ivy League school. I'm, I'm, I'm working class mentality. I look at this man's girlfriend and say, no way he's a billionaire legitimately. What billionaire? Have y'all seen this girl's the girlfriend? I haven't seen it. Car Carolyn, whatever. Justin, if we have time, please hunt up the picture of the girlfriend, please. And we'll, we will take a moment here, because I got to show you the picture of the girlfriend. I think his name's Caroline, whatever. And I'm like, this is a billionaire's girlfriend? <laughs> I mean, of all the red flags that I saw, it was the girlfriend that's the real red flag. I'm going to have to, let me, is it Caroline Ellison, maybe? I, I'm trying to, uh, let me help Justin out here. Oh, he found her, hopefully. Yeah, Caroline Ellison, I think is her name. Yeah, yes, Caroline Ellison. Wait till y'all see this picture. This is, this is, I, this is the biggest smoking gun in the world. I got it called up here on my, on my laptop. Can you see? <laughs> yes. That's the girlfriend <laughs> of a billionaire, a 30 year old billionaire. He, he, I'm not, that to me is, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Wait, how old is that girl? This is what, I, she's an adult or whatever. A 30 year old billionaire, that's his girlfriend? <laughs> Yo, I am. <laughs> Did you know, I mean, had you seen this, Royce? Did you, I mean. The, uh, no, well, the you know. For someone on my level, it just didn't add up. No, no, I think it adds up perfectly. She's a she's a spook too. You know, that first of all, she's not a, you know, she's agent Cody Banks over there. I don't even think that she's 21 years old to be honest, but um, you know, the, the the thing I think that people have to understand at home and get comfortable with again is the level of involvement by which the security state has the reins of this country and this government. Um, the Ukraine is a great example. We are active. Our military is actively fighting a war on the ground in Ukraine. We are not only supplying Ukrainian soldiers. We are not only supplying the Ukraines with weapons that we're disproportionately spending when the Russians versus the Russians. Um, so we're, we're losing that war from an economic standpoint and it's going to be de destabilizing to our military in general here to come. Um, but but. Our, our security state is involved all around the world. And if you go back to a person like Epstein, who, who was Epstein? Who was Jeffrey Epstein? He was a Wall Street guy and he was a financier. For some reason, you know, the big finance uh, tycoons uh, are intimately involved in, in many ways, you could say, with a lot of these uh, international security state type scandals. Um, and it's easy to take a young man who's ambitious, who's, who, who has uh, delusions of grandeur about his own life and, and views himself as a god and wants all of the material spoils and, and co-opt him and get him to do what you want and then cut him out at, at, at the end. I mean, it's just like Oswald. Oswald became obsessed. And, and, you know, you could say with with communism, he went to go visit Russia and so on and so forth. And before you know it, you got the perfect person to play the role you need them in a in a in an operation that has huge ramifications by by the standards of what we are watching the 2022 midterm elections were compromised by a single individual in this entire scam. I mean, uh, we're talking about a Senate and a house that came down to a matter of a few seats and a few states and a few cities or counties of 30,000 votes, a hundred million dollars 
doesn't buy you everything, but it buys you a, a couple hundred thousand votes. I mean, that's been statistically proven. So so we don't have to go to the machines or the ballot harvesting yet to even talk about how our elections aren't secure. And if we talk about security election in this economic sense, we know that the security state in our country has been involved in subverting elections all around the world. This is what the CIA does. They, they, this, they're on the record for going into other countries and subverting their elections. So why would we believe they don't do it here at home? And no, I'm not suicidal. Uh, thank you, Royce. Uh, appreciate it. Caroline Ellison, by the way, is age 29, uh, despite looking like a 17-year-old. She's age 29. Uh, thank you, Royce. Have a great weekend. Uh, we got to keep it moving. I want to tell you guys uh, about, you know, getting older and how it, you know, it kind of sucks. It's a big adjustment. It's like you're young and healthy and eventually it gets hard to stay healthy. Next thing you know, you realize you're not so young, but you're not exactly old. Then it gets worse. You might get more of a dad bod or early 2000s Whitlock bod, uh, which some people call like a walrus bob. Uh, it's suddenly harder to work out. It's not your fault. As men age, our bodies naturally lose free testosterone. Uh, that's because when you were younger, you were at the peak of your production. Wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again and that old swagger back in your step? Nugenics Total T is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. It will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, get you better results at the gym, and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total T contains man-boosting key ingredients like testofen, which has been validated in five clinical studies. What is Nugenics Total T? What does it do? It boosts the free testosterone that the aging process robs so you'll feel stronger and leaner with more energy and drive. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text FEARLESS to 231-231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with the key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text FEARLESS to 231-231. That's fearless to 231-231. You can email me and us, fearless at blazeshow at gmail. You know what, before we go, I want to share with you all an email I got today. Uh, Steve Kim's just around the corner. What, I got an email that, and I, boy, let me see. Oh God, I hope I can, I gotta be able to find it. It was a great email. Uh, oh man, was it from Kay? Was it Kay that, uh, no, it wasn't Kay. Kay sent me a good email. Was it Pat? Was, you know what? When we come back with Steve Kim, I'll share the email with you. Steve Kim, back. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah. 모두 다 빨리 박수 쳐 기다리지 말고 서둘러 무슨 내란 밝혀서 to feed you rap so I see that you are bad boy So sad Alright welcome back uh, Time for some Steve Kim and I found the email I was looking for and it wasn't a great email it was an annoying email I knew there was an email I wanted to share with you all uh, that annoyed me I made a mental note I wanted to share an email on the show and Steve Kim just reminded me of it It's from Sergio uh, I received it this morning, three hours ago. No, no, it's longer than that because it was this morning. I can't do the math. Anyway, uh, Steve, here's the email. Bring Steve Kim up on camera because <laughs> oh, no. whoever you paid for this email, Steve, uh, you didn't pay him enough. Uh, Dear Jason, please stop giving Steve Kim a hard time. He's one of the main reasons I watch the show. Uh, mm. I'm pleading for you not to get rid of him. He brings a great deal of knowledge to the show, and I appreciate and enjoy him giving you a hard time. In addition, please give him a pay raise since he seems to wear fearless T-shirts all the time and he needs a better wardrobe. Uh, thanks for bringing us great content and Steve Kim. Uh, Sergio. Steve, you're on thin ice. I get any more emails like this, I mean and you'll be, uh, you'll, you'll be the new Greg Couch Uncle Jimmy. Oh, no, you know, Jason, I think <laughs> I know who it is. It's one of those 38 Sergios that I graduated with at Montebello High School. But, you know, putting all of that aside, <laughs> I am just here to work hardcore, man. Just hardcore work. That's what I'm ready for. Let's get this started. Uh, we will get it started. We're going to get it started with, uh, I want to tap into your expertise as it relates to pop culture and hip-hop. Our man Bryson Gray here dropped a banger in my opinion but we'll defer to your expert opinion he dropped a song about lebron james last week uh that i think is off the chains it's only about two and a half minutes uh let's play the song and then we'll get your expert review i just want to make y'all think i gave everything that i had i put my heart my blood my sweat my tears to the day man before you get angry just listen Tell LeBron I said shut up and dribble Or do some research at least just a little Politicians playing you like a fiddle I got my stripes so that mean I'm official Wait, you criticize the country making you rich But never say that about China So that means somebody pulling your strings like a puppet Or you just cap you a liar And it's okay if we disagreeing Think about all the black kids you misleading When a black man gets shot you start tweeting Before you even understand the reasons Talk about books you ain't even read I just wonder what you really believe Fake news spreading like a disease But I know you're doing anything for some cheese You're supposed to be a king, this is your name But kings don't go look for someone to blame Think, look at your money and fame Instead of being grateful, you just complain Having the time of your life But telling black kids all they gone for this pain I feel like Noah before he even put the art Trying to tell everyone it's gonna rain But they don't believe me I guess being the victim is easy I mean I'm black, look at how bad they treat me That's until their favorite rapper repeat me I guess that's different, right? You don't care and you still gonna listen Right? Me while his label's making millions Right? They sign these rappers and they pimp them Right? But they say I'm the one that's tripping I. People like LeBron seem to only care about their funds And that seems to be the case with most But the Bible says the wicked gonna run And maybe that's why I keep getting banned But that's okay, I don't bite out of none That's the lessons my father in heaven And who he said, which is his only son Dang. Tell LeBron I said shut up and dribble Or do some research at least just a little Politicians playing you like a fiddle I got my stripes, so that mean I'm official Wait, you criticize the country making you rich But never say that about China So that means somebody pulling your strings like a puppet Or you just cap you a liar Wait, how you not gonna step with Kyrie When you got a ring with him? How you gonna delete the episode with Yay Mups and strings in them? You said the Cowboys ain't allowed free speeches. This is neat different. 
I guess you never play with Sacramento Cause it ain't no king in them But real, recognize real I can see that you blind Cause you keep the same energy with Dwayne Wade Okay, never mind While you listen to music, I say the N-word So much like a million times Cause you get mad when people say it on Twitter But when you do it, it's fine Tell LeBron I said shut up and dribble Or do some research at least just a little Politics playing you like a fiddle I got my stripes, so that mean I'm official Wait, you criticize the country making you rich But never say that about China I guess somebody pull me on shoes like a puppet Or you just cap you a liar Mm. 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 Uh, Steve, uh, the floor is yours. Can we get an expert review? You know, you call him Bryson Gray. I call him Barson Gray. Oh, he is the conservative <laughs> rock him. I mean, that, that he was flowing like the Nile. You know, and I love the backdrop of Curtis Blow basketball, one of the all-time, one of the first hip-hop videos I ever remember watching. Back when hip-hop was still kind of in its infancy, the one thing I might have added, and it's just a small quibble here, as I play Korean Hype Williams, I would have added the drop of Laura Ingram. because I think she's the one who said to LeBron, uh, really effectively, shut up and dribble. So I, I may have like put her like, you know, time, time, time for some action. I would have done that. But again, very, very small quibble. Another masterpiece from the Picasso of conservative hip hop. Mm. Yo, thank you so much. And I actually agree, because obviously the name Shut Up and Dribble came from Laura Ingram. Um, I should have added her clip in the song somewhere. Oh, oh my goodness. Then, I can't believe I didn't do that. You know what? I wonder if you can do it and we can what send it to her. Yo, <laughs> yes. we should do that. Yeah, we should put that in there, send it to her. I, she asked me to come on the show all the time. A lot of times, I don't do it all the time, but... Uh, she may, you know, have you on the show. One other thing, guys. That'd be cool. I like the subtle thing at Dwayne Wade. Why isn't he criticizing him? Huh? We'll just leave it at that. That was very subtle. Subtlety works. It's like a sledgehammer sometimes. I love, you know, him and Kyrie. You got a ring with him. The, the, the whole song was Thank just, you. that's a bang. And it, it's funny, man. Rap doesn't hit me that way. That's the way rap used to hit me. Like, dang, they really dropping some truth. Some, this hits me hard. And I'm mean, again, I go back to you know when I was in college and KRS One and even, but even Rock Him. Even if it wasn't conscious music or whatever, but rap used to hit me in a way in your gut that it doesn't do anymore. And it's like I'm getting that now from you and Bizzle. Y'all harder than the rappers. That's the goal. Shout out to Bizzle too, man. That's that's my homie. But but. It's really trying to bring real hip-hop back to what it's supposed to be. Have meaning in it. The beats can still be hard. The flow can still be good. You know what I'm saying? But you can do that and have some meaning to what you're saying uh, rather uh, rather than being about nonsense the entire time. Uh, I feel like it's actually better we have meaning to it because it, it sits with people's minds more. And I feel like it'll, it'll last longer rather than you know the short, the short, the short span people have in music now. All right, uh, Steve and, and Bryson, I would assume you're – no, you ain't from here. Are you a Tennessee Titans fan at all? No, nah, everybody everybody in the house is becoming one, though, since we have moved here. <laughs> gotcha. All right, so uh, the Tennessee Titans last night, Steve, uh, knockoff Green Bay kind of the way that I expected. It was 20-17 yeah. to 17 going into the fourth quarter. That's kind of what I, how I thought the game ended up being 27-17. Uh, the Titans, after, I believe, an 0-2 start – have won six of seven games, maybe, or seven yeah. of eight, six of seven. I, I can't remember. And uh, to me, are starting to put together a case 
to perhaps be the second best team in the AFC. And if they had a real quarterback, they might be a threat to be the best team in the AFC. Uh, what do you think about the Tennessee Titans as maybe the second best team in the AFC after the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, Jason, to get to your point, but I want to point this out. I think this was a tale of two quarterbacks, but to what you directly spoke on, if they get that version of Ryan Tannehill, that's a team I absolutely would not want to play in January because he made every throw when he had to. And look, this is the dominance of Derrick Henry, though. He is the nucleus. He only had 87 yards, Jason, but it felt like his impact was like 150 yards because of what he set up off of play action and just the fronts that they got. And to give Tannehill credit, every time they needed a third down, converted. There are a couple deep shots that they dialed up. He threw the ball on time and basically outside of one really bad pick when he went for the kill shot, I thought he almost played a flawless game. Again, that version of Tannehill that could take advantage of relatively limited opportunities and value the football, which he did not against the Bengals, I would hate to play them. You know, Jason, when I look at Mike Vrabel, he look, doesn't he look like an MMA fighter? I mean, honestly, he has that raw – that's a guy I would not want to get into the octagon with or in the back alley. And it's interesting because they do ground and pound. And if you look at that game, specifically in the first half, they got on the ground and they just choked out the Packers. I mean, they just choked them out, and it looked like master jujitsu. They had the ball, I think, almost 20 minutes to the Packers' 10 in the first half. That game didn't even seem that close. And when they do that, ground and pound – Jason, I'm going to tell you this right now. Nobody wants to play that version of the Titans with a healthy Derrick Henry. Yeah, and the Titans were banged up last night. And, and again, I said it. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm so rarely right when it comes to this kind of stuff. I, I guess maybe that's why I'm dwelling in it. But I said they gave Derrick Henry the previous two weeks kind of off, I think 16 carries and then 19 carries. And I said this looks like a night where they're going to go – Saddle up Derrick Henry, 28 carries. Yes, it was only 87 yards, but it was a, a long run of nine yards. Yeah. They just, he sets a tone of physicality and all that that, you know, is it, just hard to replace. And again, I, I still think he has a great case for MVP uh, of the National Football League. And, and, you know, again, like I've said, they've won seven of eight games, I believe, since an 0-2 start. Uh, I like the Tennessee Titans a lot. Now, still not sold on Ryan Tannehill come playoff time. But, but the, the rest of the AFC is so spotty. Josh Allen and the Buffalo, very talented, but Josh Allen prone to the big mistakes. Uh, I'm not ready to jump all the way on the Dolphins bandwagon. Uh, I like their personnel. I like their wide receivers, obviously, and Tua's doing the best that he can. But, you know, who is, the, if not Tennessee, who is the second-best team in the AFC? Look, I'm still not giving up on Buffalo because of the raw talent. And we saw this last year with the Bills. They went about a month where they were just incredibly mediocre to bad. And that's what's truly keeping Josh Allen from being not just elite or one of the most talented guys, but a guy that you could really say is on top of the mountain. Most really good quarterbacks don't string together two, three bad weeks in a row. And then that's what he's done. He's got to get back on track, make the routine play, and stay out of the bad one. And, Jason, to your point about Derrick Henry being MVP, 
we always talk about this in basketball. Do they make other players better? You look at Derrick Henry and the fact you're going to get a lot of man coverage, you're going to get loaded boxes, and a quarterback doesn't have to do a lot, and you could literally be very effective. Think about this. Ryan Tannehill didn't even have 30 attempts, but he had well over 300 yards. That is passing efficiency that is actually rare. So I really think when you take a look at that particular description of a value to a team and making others better and lifting their game, Derrick Henry right now is doing it as well as any offensive player in the National Football League. All right, Steve. Uh, the other thing that's happening that's interesting is there seems to be a really pronounced fear of Jeff Saturday, the Fritz Pollard Alliance, basically the NAACP of the National Football League is going to investigate the Colts hiring Jeff Saturday as an interim head coach. And the only reason why this announced, if he had lost and got embarrassed by the Raiders, I don't think there would be an investigation. They'd just be like, oh, he's going to crash and burn. (laughs) But I think now there's a fear like, well, holy cow, what if this works? Uh, We got to do something about this. We have to draw a line in the sand that we're anti-Jeff Saturday and Jim Irsay. There's a fear that Jeff Saturday may be successful and the Fritz Potter Alliance is going to, you know, dirty up his name and the Colts' name for potentially hiring. The Colts play the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles coming off a, you know, embarrassing loss. Eagles now 8-1. and one. Uh, Eagles a seven-point favorite. Colts at home. If they beat the Eagles, uh, Jeff Saturday may be in pole position to be retained as the Colts head coach. And, you know, uh, the NAACP and all the, the diversity, inclusion, and equity guys at the NFL uh, are going to be upset. Here's the question. Let's say Jeff Saturday puts together a real run, which I still think is unlikely. Let's say he goes 7-1, and one, leads them to an unlikely wild card berth. Doesn't that prove Ursay correct? You actually got the best man for the job. I'm, I mean, and then if he fails, guess what? They're going to get a new coach. This is, again, a rather ineffective organization. Uh, I don't know if they're ineffective or as antiquated as as the NAACP, but their role nowadays is to be aggrieved, is to complain, and then then the virtue signal, and then to put in a a suggestion in in the suggestion box. That's annoying, isn't it? And then that's their value. So I don't really understand. Look, Jeff Saturday is not a traditional hire. I get it. Anyone that's actually in the coaching profession that went through the ranks, going all the way back to being a very highly underpaid graduate assistant and working their way up the ladder, I can see why this offends them. I get it from their point. But coaching football at this level or being the head man, really not always about the X's and O's. You better be able to lead men to connect with them and have them fight and play hard for you. If Jeff Saturday actually succeeds, what is the what is the point in ripping it then? Then maybe it actually opens up avenues for other black coaches who may not have traditional roles or have not taken the traditional path. And maybe you say a guy, hey, that guy was a great player. He's been around the sport. Why not? I, again, this is just more complaining in what is the industrial grievance complex. Steve, I'm wondering if what they're doing 
the other side of the argument could be that they're putting the Colts in a position that if Jeff Saturday fails, the Colts then have to hire yeah. a black coach. That, that, that could be the pressure they're trying to mount on Jim Irsay. And Jim Irsay won a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy, a Hall of Fame black coach. Right, and so, his replacement, and, wasn't it Jim Caldwell? Jim Caldwell, yes. Oh, I, mm -hmm. All right, and, and that happened within the last 10 to 12 years. So the track record suggests that Irsay isn't this deep-seated racist. These guys want to win football games, and so do I, do I believe that they are trying to paint the Colts into a bit of a corner into at least looking at a candidate they otherwise would not have? There is a possibility, but there also comes to this point. These NFL owners have a right to hire whoever they want. Bottom line. I, I, so if, if they hired, let's say, uh, Edgerin James, okay, all-time great Colt. Let's say he was given the job, and he has never actually expressed any interest in wanting to be a coach. But let's just say out of a lark, he said, you know what, I'll do it. I'll do it for two months. It'll be fun. Would these same complaints be coming from the same people? Probably not. And that's where they really lose me. But again, let's see how this plays out. They played the Raiders, Jason. The Raiders are the ultimate slump buster in the National Football League. Now they are playing the Philadelphia Eagles coming off a loss. Let's see where this goes, and let's see what the narratives are in about 72 hours. I got to say this. I like the Colts plus seven points. Not saying they're going to mm. win the game, but I like them plus seven points at home. Big yeah. moment for Jeff Saturday. Uh, I like them plus seven. Steve, uh, have a great week. I see you got your Miami gear on. Are, are, yeah. are, are there hurricanes? Are they bowl eligible yet? Not yet. By the way, one last thing. Um, first, I have 14 hours of college football I'm watching at my buddy's house, and the first drink I'm pouring out is going to be in honor of uh, Aaron Rodgers. But to the people in Qatar, I guess it's bottled water. I mean, poor people of Qatar. They're not allowed to drink alcohol while watching that godforsaken sport. I mean, I, I get the sense there's going to be thousands of people that are going to watch this game sober and be like, what the hell? So I, you know what time it is right now in Qatar? <laughs> it ain't Miller time. <laughs> it's really unhappy hour. Those poor folks come back. No one should be forced to be sober and watch that god-awful, god-forsaken sport. I pray for you folks. But anyway, have a good weekend, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Hi, bro. Good job. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag, shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, we're going to talk to a former NFL great, Larry Johnson. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to switch up a little bit and talk with, well, it's not really a switch up. We just got done talking sports with Steve Kim. Uh, now we're going to bring back an NFL star from the 2000s, uh, first time on Fearless, Larry Johnson, former All-Pro with the Kansas City Chiefs, had back-to-back 1,700-yard -back seasons in the mid-2000s. I covered uh, most of Larry's professional career. He ended up, I think, playing in Washington and maybe, some, maybe briefly in Cincinnati later in his career. But I covered the bulk of Larry's NFL career. Uh, Larry Johnson, uh, welcome uh, to Fearless. Uh, I, I, I want to start here with the audience. 
they won't, people in Kansas City will know, but uh, when Larry was in Kansas City, I wouldn't say me and Larry got along. Uh, I, I wouldn't say we were hostile towards each other, but we didn't get along. Larry was in a contract dispute, and Larry was in a different space uh, than the Larry Johnson I've been following probably the past 10 years over social media. So let, let's start there, Larry, in terms of your mindset and how it's evolved from your time as an NFL star to your mindset now the past decade as a civilian and an observer of the culture? I, I say the access to money, the access to the environment was a lot different then than it is now. Like now, spiritually, I evolved because I'm no longer getting 100,000, 200,000 checks every single week. And I'm not going to Vegas. I'm not partying as much as I used to anymore when I had access to do that. So now I, I dedicate myself and spiritually evolving and understanding this world and understanding my habits and how my habits have you know, hurt others in the beginning. And I'm, I'm evolving that way. And so, I, and I don't know, and I'm asking off, where are you on your spiritual journey? Because it, it strikes me from afar that you're on a spiritual journey. How would you define, or maybe it defies explanation, but I how would you define your spiritual walk? I feel right now, before I was throwing a pity party to myself, I'm out of that phase. I'm into the phase of uh, closing some generational curses that I've understood that runs in my bloodline. I've conquered that phase. Now my phase is directed towards actually walking and living by the word and my actions showing, starting to show that. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm at a point of war. That means I'm you know, situated with myself that my past doesn't bother me. People attacking me because of my past does no longer bother me. I have all the facts and all the truth, and I just share it with the, the world and show them where I'm at. I'm literally uh, preparing for war or at war because of the truths that I found. It's, it's so funny to hear you say that uh, because like, I'm 55 now, and so if we went back almost 20 years when you were in Kansas City, I was a young man or younger than I am now. And I, the things you're saying are exactly what's going on with me in terms of a revelation of a bigger purpose in life and getting myself in order, uh, you know, figuring out that, you know, actually in order to prove, improve the world, I got to improve Jason Whitlock and I got to try to live by the word more than by the world and what culture says. And, and so it's funny that uh, our journeys have us kind of on the same path, even though we came at it from different directions. And you know what's a blessing? I always think of this is when you sat me down and had me connect with Jim Brown. I think that for me, that's where it really started. It was small, but I think the, the connection between you and I started at Jim Brown. I mean, I still remember him, you know, pulling me to the side and asked me, did I know about the Willie Lynch papers? I had no idea. But when I went home that day, I went through it. And that's I think that's where it started from. It, 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 it's funny. Uh, and I eventually became friends with Larry's agent at the time. I don't know what you and Alvin Kill's relationship is today, but uh, Larry and I, again, we, we had a bit of an adversarial relationship, but back in that era, 
even when the media was at odds with a star athlete, you still interacted and engaged with each other and there was still an opportunity for people to understand each other. And I remember now, Jim Brown came to, I had Jim Brown come to Kansas City for an event and you just reminded me that I introduced you to Jim Brown. I had forgotten that, but, but it, it just speaks to how things have changed so much. The media where it is today, if there's any tension between the media and a celebrity or an athlete now, there's virtually no engagement. Everybody just runs off into their corners. And it's like, we still had to deal with each other and we both benefited from engaging with each other because I, I promise you, as I've followed you just over social media over the last 10 years, I feel like I have benefited from that. I find you to be very wise and interesting. Can't say that I agree with everything, but I, I'm just, impressed by your journey and your intellectual evolution. Thank you. I mean, like I said before, I, when I first got my Twitter handle back, I, you were the one, one of the first few people I started following again because I do remember we weren't at odds in a certain way, but it was because of my actions, duly noted, my actions on and off the field brought or invited that type of you know, that type of writing from you. So I understood why you wrote. I understood that is your job. I still understood the situations and the environment I was in that caused that environment. So I, I understood. And that's why it was so easy for me to connect with you, because I still do remember that Jim Brown incident. And then we went on in social media, kind of builds from there. You know, I don't agree with everything you said, but it was still a foundation that we both agreed on certain things. So. Larry, one, I want your thoughts today on what you think of what's going on with Kyrie Irving and Kanye West. Uh, I'm someone that, uh, particularly as it relates to Kyrie Irving, and to a lesser degree, and still do, I, I champion Kyrie and Kanye. Uh, I, I think, particularly as it relates to Kyrie Irving, his religious freedoms are being violated. Uh, this man has done nothing wrong, and, and I think the media has sensationalized Kanye West's uh, comments so that they actually don't have to deal with what he's saying. They've sensationalized, oh, he's anti-Semitic, we don't even have to deal with that. Uh, I, I have, I don't think these guys are all right, but I do respect the fact that they're inviting and creating the space for uh, a necessary conversation. I'm wondering what's your take as you watch what's going on with Kyrie Irving and Kanye West? Uh, it's interesting because yes, what they say or some of the things that they've said have been the truth, but it, people go past that and don't understand that there's a lot more to this story than meets the eye. You have to have a controlled opposition. You have to have someone that will stand for something, but when it's time for push comes to shove, you have to show them being remorseful. And this is not the first time Kyrie Irving has done this. He came out and said the earth was flat. Then they got him on about that. Then he changed his, his position and said, oh, the earth wasn't flat. I was into conspiracy theories. Now we move on to this black Jew Israelite um, thing. Now it's he, he says what he needs to say, which is, I posted the video. This was on the video. And then he backtracked and said it was anti-Semitic. 
they have not yet provided any information within the video that shows what information that was presented that is anti-Semitic. So now because of the sports arena is such a controlled environment, not like what Kanye West is doing because everything is, you know, all over the place. But when you have a controlled environment such as sports, you have to jump on harder because it's a lot more players, a lot more black players that needs to see a system of control that you can't say what you want, and these are the penalties of saying what you want. So I think in the arena of sports, they're gonna come down harder on Kyrie because he's much more than just one black uh, basketball player. This speaks to black players in baseball, black players in football, black players in soccer, and and any other sports that's here. And that's what they have to make the example. They have to make the example louder for Kyrie so everybody else can fall in line. Larry, one of the things I've argued over the last few years and probably even felt back in the day when you were playing is that there will never be another Muhammad Ali and likely never another Jim Brown because the athletes are so immersed in the corporate environment. They have so many corporate puppet strings on them. There's too much financial pressure. It's too easy to control them. And those athletes from that previous generation, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, they didn't have those corporate ties and that liberated and freed them. Do you, do you see that as well? Of course. I, I still watch those old school 70s black exploitation films with uh, Jim Brown being gunned. Uh, I, I, when Jim Brown, his last year, and Art Modell, oh, he always talks about this story. Art Modell told Jim Brown he better come back. And Jim Brown said, I'm not coming back. And then left and went to Hollywood and had a, a successful career as an actor. Like other players are able to do that. Muhammad Ali was able to do that. Uh, Bill Russell and all those guys were by themselves. You had phenomenal black athletes or black leaders in sports side to side. And now they don't want that. They can't have that because it messes up money. Like you said, the corporate ties. Then you have religionists uh, involved. You have other people's religions that you don't know about that's high behind the scenes. You had those religions involved. So everybody has their hands on these particular players because they're a moneymaker and you cannot have, uh, you know, dissent entangled with where you have your money or where your money flows. Larry, uh, back during your playing career, you were socially, you were closely connected to Jay-Z and rock aware and, and, and all of that. I, I would like, what is, what was your relationship with Jay-Z and the whole Rockefeller deal? And what do, how do you view that time and Jay-Z now? Uh, I viewed it, it was a great opportunity for me because at that time, Reebok wasn't messing with me. Nike wasn't messing with me. I was kind of like the black sheep of the NFL, as as much as you know, in Kansas City. So it was, became a deal where I had a clothing store and we were selling Rockerwear. And then I just gotten closer just by chance of, you know, meeting Dame Dash first. And he signed with he signed me under his athletic label, Team Rock. And then then that's how I met Jay-Z. So now after Jay-Z and Dame split, I went with Jay to be with Rockerwear. And then I signed a deal uh, for S. Daughter Cleats when he had his cleat and I wore his cleats. I mean, I it was a good business situation because I, who wasn't a fan of Jay-Z in the late 90s, early 2000s? Everybody pretty much was. Uh, but now 
I see it. It was strained because I kept being arrested. I can't tell you how many times he he emailed me and told me to stay out of the clubs, but I wouldn't listen. So I so we had to part ways because of it was an image problem. Now that I shut myself down and was gone out of the media for like five or six years, I came back and started digging and found out who he really is and why he says the thing that he says and who his allegiance is with. And I don't have any beef with him, but because of my strength and spirit and strength with the word, we happen to be you know, budding frenemies or enemies. And that's just the way it is. I have nothing against him, but what he stands for, I see much more than just, you know, raps on lyrics. Walk me through, uh, you, you, you said something interesting that Jay-Z, though, during your playing career, was actually giving you good advice. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah, I, <laughs> I still remember the time I, it was, uh, I think the last incident in Kansas City uh, before I got uh, traded, uh, you know, released, uh, he told me, email me mad he cursed me out really he cursed me out telling me to stay out the effing clubs and he said i can't i can't vouch for you if you're going to keep getting in trouble and i understood that and it mind you i still didn't listen because my involvement i mean my evolution at that time was very stagnant so i was really going with the flow i didn't know where i was going to end up i didn't know what i was going to do for my future football is all really all i knew and it took me to lose everything to really build myself back up to find out what things really are. That's why I have no real animosity to Jay-Z, Beyonce, and my time at Rockaway. It was a, truly a blessing and a learning experience. And I got to see things that I'd never seen before. But but now, I, because I had those experiences, now I'm able to shed a deeper light because I've been around them before. So my words now, when I'm standing in truth, are ringing louder than I would at my time for Rockwell, because I stand for something completely different now. And so, as best you can, or as, as comfortable, what do you think Jay-Z stands for now? Well, it's obviously they've been controlled by Satanism. I mean, I'm not really scared to say that. We all know Luciferians, Freemasons, and all occult knowledge that, that was drugged up from Egypt have now surfaced itself in American society. And if you actually dig through the raps, like as I have, before it was all about partying and popping bottles. But when you listen to it again with a new ear, obviously they're not serving the same most high God that I am. And that's what makes us enemies, that I stand for a completely different doctrine, a completely different nation, and a completely different truth than he does. I don't have any materialism attached to my spirit or soul anymore. I don't have, uh, fornication attached to my spirit anymore. I mean, I'm, I just got engaged July. So my life is completely different from how I was with women in the early 2000s. And I think that is the, the difference in itself of being evolved with Rock Aware has made me see something completely different and knowing who his allegiance is with is not the most high God. And we all know, you know, Satan rules this realm. Do you, th and, and again, I don't want to get you off into speculation world. You've had dealings with Jay-Z, you've studied that. But do you think that's the case? And you can pass on this question if you don't want to speak on it, but do you think that's the case with all of the hip-hop, commercial hip-hop music industry? I mean, if you know who owns and runs the hip-hop industry and entertainment industry, it all funnels itself down. It's like a pyramid scheme. Whatever materialism, 
uh, murdering and, you know, debauchery amongst specifically black Americans. You see that coming from somewhere. If you just follow the money and who runs these companies, you know exactly who's pulling the strings and making sure it's only this particular type of brand of music and entertainment that's for destroying the lives of black Americans. Unbeknownst to them, because it sounds good over a beat, it's being destroyed. It's a frequency or a vibration that's being let out by those type of puppets as Jay-Z, Kanye, and all them, that they have to stand for it in their good standing of being, quote-unquote, billionaires. You put Kanye in the same lane as Jay-Z. Uh, you got to. If I can see a picture of uh, Jay-Z at a Prince Hall Freemason uh, meeting, you know, since Kanye looks as Jay-Z as his bigger brother, they have to be right next to each other. They wouldn't share the same space or the same stage if Jay-Z was a Freemason and Kanye was, quote unquote, a Christian. It would never happen. It's a reason why somebody owns those platforms that they dance and sing on. And those platforms are owned by a, a specific religion or a specific uh, doctrine that controls these two. Mm. So... The other reason I wanted to have you on is because I, I see some of your tweets and I think, and I could be wrong, but I think you have some insight into the Hebrew Israelite movement or, or, or what, and, and I don't know, I'm at, are you involved with that? I can't figure it out from afar. That's why I'm asking you, what is your understanding of the black Hebrew Israelite movement? What do you think of it? Where are you at in, in your spiritual journey as it relates to that? Well, I always, I've told people I am an Israelite. I mean, to me, it's not really a movement. If I can find you two scriptures, that really sums up literally what everybody is talking about. And this is something that you have never heard or you will never hear from Kanye West, Jay-Z, or Kyrie Irving. You won't hear about Deuteronomy 28:68. Everybody knows the Israelites walked from Egypt, but in that specific passage, it talks about how we would go back into slavery in ships. There was no ships to go into Egypt. So where is where is the second Egypt? It's America. Look, all the foundations of America. You got we got pyramids. We got Luxor. We got the obelisk in D.C. We got Freemasonry, which is the founding fathers that they got. They took that from Egypt. That's one verse. Then you got Genesis 15, 13. Now it says to Abraham that they would we would serve in another nation that is not ours 400 years. Now, who signed the 400 African-American uh, uh, historical act? Donald Trump. He did this, what, two or three years before in his presidency. So to me, it's not really a movement or a grassroots movement. It's just the truth. It is what it is. We have to find out the truth based on who particular race and nation is it talking about in these specific verses. Bryson, help me out here. He quoted some scripture here that this is your area of expertise. What, what, what do you what do you think of that? Well, he was he was referring to Deuteronomy. Obviously, everybody knows Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, um, is after Exodus, obviously, when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, and he gets to Deuteronomy. He is right that it does say they will be slaves to other nations in Deuteronomy twenty eight twenty nine. But you have to also understand why the context is they turned away from God's ways in Deuteronomy twenty eight and twenty nine. And God said, because you're trying to wait from my ways, I will give you over to evil rulers. Uh, you will become slaves. You'll become you'll be given over to confusion and other things of that nature. And then in, in Deuteronomy 29, it talks about how once we turn back to God's ways, we will come back. Uh, my only issue with necessarily the Black Hebrew Israelite movement is um, when you look up 
like where Abraham was born, right? It's modern day Iraq. And from every historian I can think of, I could be missing one, they said it was all shades of people there. So to me personally, it's, it's, it wouldn't be logical to say all Israelites were black, but that's just, that's just my opinion though. Larry, uh, you, you go ahead. Nah, I've seen the ancient maps. There are maps that are that have been made that change the biblical locations of where Abraham really is. Abraham was born uh, closer to east of Africa. And if you actually go through the old maps before they change the historical locations, the river of Euphrates, if you go to the old Negro land African map, the river of Euphrates is all the way in West Africa. So that can't be if you're talking about modern day Iraq or the Middle East, if there's there's two different types of location of where Euphrates river, uh, rivers are. If you look at the concentric map, uh, I guess uh, De Verga, I think his name, 1411, he put the concentric rings of all five rivers mentioned in scripture of Guardian Eden in the south tip point of Africa. Now, this is the this is information that not everyone has seen. Remember, in order to change history. As mentioned in Psalms, like they will be confederate against us. They changed biblical locations in the maps in Africa and moved into the Middle East so that the era that you know now as Israel, Jerusalem, it was known as Idumea. And that fort that you see that everybody calling it's the city is actually a fort built by Herod the Edomite. So it can't be that biblical city if it once was called Fort Antonia. And that's how my information that I'm finding is different from what the mainstream uh, locations are because it's, you got to really dig through it to find out things were changed. Larry, let me ask you this, and because some of this is new information to me, slightly over my head, it's going to take some time for me to process everything that's saying. But part of where I come down on it, or my instincts are. Explain to me, and I'm not asking this defensively or uh, aggressively, I just want it from an explanation. Why is it important in 2022 for Larry Johnson, Jason Whitlock, or Bryson Gray to, to, to know or to believe or to think uh, that we're the true Israelites? Why is it important? And I'm not trying to sound stupid. I just I, I, I want to know. Because obviously, if you look around this, this country, this system is imploding on itself. And if you understand the prophecy of Daniel, he was told to seal the books up until the end. Now, look at all the new books that have came out of the scripture that wasn't in the canonized Roman Catholic version of the Holy Bible or the King James Bible. We have been now exposed to new books and new understanding. And it's important for all of us, whether you believe in the Hebrew Israelites or not, it's still important for everyone because it wasn't just Israelites that took the covenant of the Torah on the Mount Sinai. They were with other nations as well. It's important for all of us to open our eyes because this system is eventually going to destroy itself. And before that happens, we have all been told in the book of Revelation to come out of her, my people. We, we are right now coming out of this system. I know some of you have to do this for a job and all, but spiritually you can come out of this system. So when the hammer drops down, 
it'll feel like a beasting rather than feel like what you read in the book of Revelation of how these curses and plagues are going to attach itself to only those who didn't want to come out of the system and did not want to live by the word. So it's important, regardless of what walk of life you're in, that we are the ones that are telling you, look what happened to us in Deuteronomy. This is what the, the real reason why the Israelites can understand this. Look what happened to us in slavery for being disobedient. Now, you think that that other shoe is not going to drop on those who have other races and nations, it's going to drop soon. And that's why we're trying to waken others up. We're not trying to practice black supremacy or Israelite supremacy. We care enough about everybody else who is either a Gentile or from other nations. We care enough to, to find, have you find yourself and find your soul so you can save it because it's, it's shown through this government. It's not going to save you. Right. Your reaction to that? Um, well, we have some overlapping values, obviously, right? Uh, I do believe I am an Israelite. I just don't believe only black people are Israelites. Uh, I do believe we're supposed to keep the Torah because if you go read, and I'm sure he knows this verse too, if you go read Deuteronomy 29, the end of it, it said uh, that we're supposed to keep the Torah everywhere that's in the Torah forever. It's an everlasting situation. And I'm sure me and him have those overlasting values. So, I mean, in, in some cases, I, I'm, not the, I'm not the type of person that hate the black Israelites because I do believe a lot of them read scriptures more than modern day Christians. Um, it, it, but some sects of, of black Israelites, it's not all of them, but some sects, you know, they believe Esau was white. And if you read Malachi chapter one, verses two and three, God hated Esau. And for modern Christians, that may surprise people. Oh, I can't know God doesn't hate anybody. No, Psalm 5, 5, God hates workers of iniquity. In Malachi chapter one, verses two and three, God hated Esau. Clear cut. There's no other way to view it. Uh, my, my issue comes is when they paint this thing that first they're telling that it's a 100% fat Esau was white because the Bible says he came out hairy and rooty. And I don't think that's that's enough evidence to claim somebody is white. And I don't know if, I don't know if he's in that sect or not. Uh, and then, it, you know, then they try to paint this picture like white people would be our slaves and things of that nature. And my issue with it is Spaniards had us as slaves. We were slaves all over the world. Matter of fact, still today, there are uh, African slave trades, even though they're, they're, a lot of them are underground. So I... I you know, I'm not, I'm not completely sold on the entire narrative of Black Hebrew Israelite. Larry, I'm going to give you the final word, but man, I appreciate you coming on. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm, I, I want to have you back, talk about other things, but I, I'm going to give you the final word. Maybe there's something I haven't asked you that you wanted to share, uh, but please share it. Uh, I just wanted to expose what he said because I don't want to be grouped into these camps. I'm not getting my Bible and standing on the corners talking bad about white folk and talking about how white folk are going to be slaves. It doesn't say any of that. Uh, in Isaiah, it talks of how the stranger or the Gentile will cleave unto us and, and we're going to be set in our own land. And also it says that Esau mingled his seed with everybody. Job was black you know, a, a, a black complexion. Esau had women from Canaanites. He went with, he had women everywhere. He also had a grandchild named King Sepho who ruled in Kittim. Now Kittim is, you know, in the scripture is Rome or Idumea or Edom. So, and also Esau had sexual relations with the Horite, which is also mentioned. And now the Horite is completely separate from uh, Noah's line, J uh, Japheth, Ham, and e uh, Shem, He's, they're completely different. They're called the troglodyte or the cave dweller. Now, that's where some of what we think is into Rome or into Greece came from the nation of the Horite. And I think when you step back and understand scripture and how 
Esau called his sons Duke. Now all you got to do is follow that title Duke and it'll lead you right into the royal family, right into Britain and around those uh, European monarchs. And that's what we're trying to do. I don't never want to be associated with those camps because they really do preach too much hate and not enough love. And they do not go to war with their enemies. They, they go to war enough to be seen by their enemies. And I think this is where I'm at in my place is really rocking this thing alone by myself. And I think that's where the strength comes. Everybody needs to learn on their own. Don't group up. Don't do any of that. If anybody who's going to gather us together and open our eyes, it's the most high. He will do it. Not man will do it. He will do it. I love it. I agree. 100%. Larry, thank you so much. Great thank you. job. Thank you. Appreciate you making the time. Uh, we're going to circle back. Maybe talk a little football. Uh, do you still watch football, Larry? A little bit of it. <laughs> if I have to see that shotgun bring... handoff grill one more time, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> we may bring you on to talk some football, but thank you so much, Larry. God bless. Uh, that's tomorrow. That means we'll see you. Not tomorrow. We'll see you next week, Thanksgiving week. We'll, I think we'll have Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday shows next week. Uh, but anyway... Bryson, thank you. Awesome job, as always. Thank you. Uh, you guys shut up and dribble and enjoy your weekend. <laughs>